Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. I'm your host, Nav C. I'm your host, Nav M. Welcome to another hour of Alternative Views. This show will help you rethink, reshape, and reform ongoing narratives. So I'd like to begin this episode with a brief introduction to the significance of this topic and why we chose to explore it. In Toronto, Canada, over the past three months, it's been a very consistent summer in terms of regularly hot temperatures and a high level of humidity. And at the moment, we're in early September. There's definitely a change in the air because the last few nights have been very cool. And recently, both of my children have noticed that they've developed a tan over this period. And although school is still going to be a very different environment, they're eager to get back, but they're also very conscious of their recently acquired darker complexion. So I explained to them that tanning is the body's internal mechanism of protecting itself from the sun's harmful UV rays. But nevertheless, kids being kids, they'll always defend their own logic in terms of why they believe tanning is undesirable. And this logic centers around the fact that the they don't want to appear drastically different in front of their friends, especially because they haven't met for so long. And this conversation reminded me of a documentary that I watched some time ago, and it was made by eminent Hollywood actor, director, and producer Bill Duke, and it was entitled Dark Girls. The documentary was co-directed by Bill Duke and Dee Shansin Burr, and their aim was to address the issues surrounding colorism. And this is something we'll explain later in the episode, but in essence, the documentary examines some very painful anecdotes regarding race and colorism, which is a form of discrimination based on skin tone and skin shade. And the documentary focuses on colorism within the black American community, but it also looks at issues of color in India and around the world. So one topic which is indirectly linked to colorism is the issue of body dissatisfaction. And I began thinking about this from a personal experience in my own childhood. And in my secondary school, rugby was the main sport played by boys. And as many people will know, it's a very physical, full-contact sport. And during one incident, a team member commented that my legs were very thin. And the word thin means different things to different people. But this one statement affected my own perceptions of body dissatisfaction, personal confidence. But more importantly, it led to a continual comparison to others in terms of self-image. And this type of experience will probably be shared by many other people. And it has more relevance today because we live in a very image-conscious era driven by global consumerism. But the main point here is that many of us are already battling with self-perception about certain issues such as height, weight, health, complexion, appearance, and so on and so forth. And often it's these issues which tend to define us as individuals rather than our actual personality or our individual characteristics. So this is the backdrop to today's episode, and we're going to begin with a brief introduction about skin whitening, a definition of terms, the origins of skin whitening as a practice, the risks involved, 
And then I'll ask Navsi to begin her piece on whether a theoretical framework could help explain the phenomenon of skin whitening. So let's start with an introduction. Skin whitening, lightening and bleaching are all interrelated terms and they're used within the environment of spas and professional aesthetics. And skin bleaching is a slightly outdated phrase because it was widely used during the 1980s but effectively involves the same process as skin whitening. The main distinction between them is that skin lightening and uh, between skin lightening and whitening is the degree to which the pigment, known as melanin, is reduced in the lower levels of the epidermis. Now, melanin is the pigment which gives our skin its color, thereby protecting us from the sun. The darker the skin, the more melanin is required, whereas lighter skin contains lower levels. So, skin whitening procedures work by lowering melanin levels in the skin. And skin lightening is a more gradual process and the results are less severe, whereas whitening is a more aggressive technique. So although both procedures use chemical inhibitors, it's skin whitening that we're going to focus on and because this uses more, much stronger inhibitors to remove melanin. So on a global level, skin whitening is the key element in building ideals of female beauty, but unfortunately a lot of the products contain toxic ingredients, linking them to health side effects. However, due to the high usage rate in Asian and Af African countries, skin whitening products are now recognized as a growing public health concern. The global skin whitening industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, and it's been criticized for promoting ideas about racial inequality and social inequity. And it's estimated that by 2027, profits from the sale of skin bleaching creams will reach a staggering 31.2 billion US dollars world worldwide. And in addition to Africa, Asia is one of the fastest growing markets. So let's look into this a little bit more deeply. What does the process of skin whitening involve? Well, it involves the removal of the upper layer of the skin through the application of creams which contain active chemicals. The skin is stimulated to induce an inflammatory reaction and this then inhibits melanin production. And in most cases, the pigment reverts back to a normal level after a few days, especially for those people with mid-tone skin. But this problem is that this is not always the case, especially for people with darker skin, because there's an added risk of developing skin discoloration or scarring. And also skin whitening has also been linked to a number of health and safety concerns for consumers. And um, we'll begin to examine these risks and the constituent chemical compounds that are used. So let's look at the risks associated with skin whitening. Firstly, there's a wealth of scientific evidence which examines the risks linked to skin whitening. In particular, research points to the dangers of using products which contain ingredients such as hydroquinone, kojic acid, nicotine amide, arbutin, mercury, and corticosteroids to lighten the skin. These products have been known to cause 
tightness of the chest, nausea, vomiting, irritability, scarring, and flaky skin, to name just a few. Now, skin whitening products have also exacerbated existing ailments such as adrenal insufficiency, diabetes, hypertension, liver and kidney damage, insomnia, memory loss, glaucoma, and cataracts. And there are many, many others, but just, this is just a, a, a list of a few of them. So in particular, research suggests that prolonged use of skin whitening agents, which contain hydroquinone, causes hyperpigmentation called exogenous achronosis. And this usually appears as a bluish-black or a gray-brown discoloration of the skin, especially when used in high doses combined with extreme heat conditions. Now, it's useful at this stage to make a clear distinction to the listeners between those skin whitening products which are well-researched and sold at reputable retail stores and those which are not. And again, we're not making any uh, health claims here. We're just reporting on facts which are in the, within the public domain. The majority of skin whitening products from mainstream retailers are able to deliver the intended results. And many are marketed as either skin toners or moisturizers. But the crucial point is that the prescribed formulations contain regulated amounts of hydroquinone and corticosteroids. So in Canada, for instance, federal health authorities such as Health Canada have issued a statement that as of 30th of June 2019, products containing hydroquinone greater than 2% for topical use require a prescription from a health practitioner. Now, the health issues surrounding hydroquinone become exacerbated when consumers, either through ignorance or affordability reasons, they start looking for unregulated products. And unfortunately, this scenario has arisen in both developing and advanced economies. And the problem is with unregulated products, products, they enter the local and national markets, and they can wreak devastating results on unsuspecting purchasers. And some of those we've just gone through in terms of the, uh, the, the list of health side effects. Now, in the initial stages of usage, individuals will see vid visible changes in their complexion, which they find appealing. And this induces the purchaser to apply more product based on unregulated advice. In addition, mercury, which is a uh, heavy metal, has widely been used in skin whitening ointments. And as a heavy metal, it has clear toxicity risks. And also, it has a long history of causing health-related problems, including chills, diarrhea, emotional instability, irritability, depression, forgetfulness, insomnia, muscular weakness and loss of teeth. So this is a, a clearly a very, very important issue here in, in terms of health implications. So given the mounting medical evidence concerning the use of harmful or adverse ingredients, researchers agree that the initial aesthetic benefits of skin whitening practices have now been overshadowed by the clear detriment to human health. And attention is now aimed at the wider reasons behind this worldwide trend. For instance, what are the connotations associated with lighter skin? 
and the ideals of whiteness? What are the attitudes and perceptions of consumers regarding wealth and status? Or perhaps the influence of media organization. Also, there are the links to a long colonial history and, of course, connections between race, beauty, power, and economic success. And even more sinister is the presence of a global consumerism which compounds the belief that anyone can achieve the benefits of whiteness by simply purchasing skin whitening products either over the counter or through informal sources or even undergoing cosmetic surgery to appear more anglicized. Now it's the yearning for fairer skin across continents such as Africa, Asia and Latin America that we'll focus on during the second part of the episode because there's a clear power relationship between advanced and developing economies which promotes the global trend of skin whitening. And we'll look at some of these trends shortly and how the narrative has been shaped and exported around the world by multinational corporations. But first, let's begin with the origins of skin whitening as an aesthetic technique and how did it begin as a cultural practice. So in terms of the origins, skin whitening is a very old practice. It dates back several millennia and was traditionally used by the elites in ancient Egypt, Rome, Greece and Mesopotamia. The first archaeological evidence of skin bleaching was found in ancient Egypt around 4000 BC. And the early history of the technique is synonymous with skin lightening rather than skin whitening. And this is because paints and powders were used to create a pale complexion so that skin blemishes which caused, which were caused by illnesses, they would go unnoticed uh, on the user. And the earliest cosmetic practitioners combined skin whiteners containing lead or chalk with a uh, black eye makeup and, and a, a particular blend of red lip dyes. Now in the Far East, elites from Ch Chinese and Japanese society they mixed a lead base with rice powder, create an appearance similar to white jade. Similarly, during the period of Tudor England, Queen Elizabeth I was known to apply complexion wafers which contained arsenic to create her famous pale or ghostly look. And Western women of influence such as Elizabeth I used the concept of whiteness to com uh, communicate other ideals such as purity and also to reaffirm the links between race, whiteness, and the concept of divinity. So this historical trend continued well into the Victorian era in Europe because powder and paint became more commercialized for creating face foundations. And during the 19th century, skin whitening products were targeted mainly at white females in Europe and the United States because they were the main markets. But after the First World War, pale skin was associated purely with those confined to factories and being shut away from, from daylight. And by the early 20th century, mass production techniques in the cosmetic industry were employed to create skin whitening creams aimed at mainly at white women. And it was after the First World War during the 20s and 30s when there was a shift from white consumers to people of color. And the main reason for this was because tanned skin became the new aspirational lifestyle for white consumers. And as a result, white consumers swapped 
skin whitening techniques for tanning lotions, a sunbathing and outdoor leisure pursuits symbolized a healthy, well-traveled and affluent lifestyle. And it's interesting that conversely, skin whitening was now being targeted towards people of color, in particular towards the African-American market and later to black communities within Nigeria. And this period also coincided with the increased use of mercury as an active ingredient for skin whitening. So by the early 20th century, pharmaceutical companies were actively promoting company, uh, sorry, they were actually promoting mercury along with uh, established textbooks for the treatment of skin infections and dark spots. And it was only after World War II that the negative environmental and health consequences of mercury came to light due to the association and the links with industrial wastewater. So overall, what this shows is that commercial companies and pharmaceuticals have been dealing with dangerous ingredients in the skin whitening process for quite some time. So now let's look at how did the Europeans promote the superiority of light skin. So once colonialism had taken a hold in Africa and Asia, the next step was to rationalize racial slavery by creating a tiered structure of slavery. And this was based on an ethos of white supremacy. And this ide ideology held the view that people of African or Asian descent were inherently inferior to the white race, both morally and the ideal of whiteness became synonymous with everything pure, civilized, and beautiful. And it's this perverse hi hierarchy that basically if your skin was of a lighter color, the individual was much closer to the opportunities attributed to white people. Hence, slaves with lighter skin were actually separated from darker skinned slaves, and they were given opportunities to work indoors away from the harsh environment of the sun. And this led to more privileges and a slightly improve, and a, and a slight improvement in their social status. Similarly, when we look at India, it also has a complement, a very complicated history of colonialization by European nations, including the Portuguese, Dutch, and British. And this created a corresponding hierarchical effect whereby the influence of lighter skin is still linked to this day to a higher social standing and opportunity. And interestingly, the influence of skin color still exists within the, within the Institute of Arranged Marriages. And one argument is that it relates to the ide ideology of white rule from colonial rule, which led Indians to acquiesce to the superiority of white skin. So darker skin became related and connected to a sense of inferiority. And there's also a more radical view regarding this, which suggests that the inherent bias is due to the structure of the caste system, wherein the, the higher caste of Brahmins on a broad level have lighter skin than the lower caste because they, they obviously they don't engage in blue-collar work or any type of menial work. And one example to support this long-standing view of bias is within arranged marriages. So just take a look at any matrimonial advert in Indian newspapers today, and they will refer to a woman's complexion as fair and milky, and for women it's tall, uh, sorry, and for men it's tall and handsome. 
So now let's look at the rationale behind skin whitening. To understand the rationale, it's a very difficult process because it involves uh, various factors of human behavior all coming together. But one explanation has been attributed to the idea of self-hate originating from low self-esteem and traumatic experiences induced by a long history of racial prejudice. And this mentality of social racial superiority was created from a Eurocentric standard towards the African ethos, resulting in feelings of self-hate for those who were afflicted by this and low self-esteem among the inhabitants. And although this is a highly credible argument, it is still too generalized to be used as a one-factor explanation. So a second rationale is that colonialism has played a major part in shaping the approach of African countries to skin whitening because of a white supremacist agenda, stating that that, uh, whites were superior to the blacks in all aspects. And historically, Africa has always been the object of Western misrepresentation since the earliest Europeans set foot on the continent. And we have the constant cliches of of Africa as the dark continent and labeling its people as savage, backward and immoral. And this forms the basis of the Western power justification to exploit African resources. The third rationale is the influence of colorism. So colorism stems from racism and it's the ideology which gives privileges and benefits to light-skinned individuals in society as opposed to darker-skinned counterparts. And essentially it's a racist legacy from the colonial days of slavery. The basic distinction is that racism discriminates on ideas of race, whereas colorism discriminates on complexion. So let's look at um, a case of this from Africa. The legacy of colonialism also spawned a shadowy hierarchical class system, which meant that lighter skin was linked to rising social class and a clear sense of privilege within African society. And this class structure created a, a racial system where blacks found it difficult to improve their particular social standing. And to escape a life of servitude, one had to adopt a position of whiteness through the ideals of virtue and beauty. But then instantly there's an incompatibility here because blacks were considered to be unattractive and immoral. And this system also used religious symbolism to reinforce this overriding message of white superiority and its association with God. In other words, the portrayal of a fair-skinned Jesus representing purity compared to dark skin as a metaphor for devilish behavior. And again, let's look at the, uh, a quick case of India. So in India, there's, there's also a long history beyond the, behind this obsession with skin color due to the influence of caste and culture. And the desire for lighter skin has been mentioned earlier in terms of the structure of the Hindu social hierarchy. And we know that India has been invaded by lighter skinned nations such as the United Kingdom. And therefore, fairness, power and supremacy have all become interrelated terms linking whiteness to personal opportunity, success and privilege. And the fourth rationale is the influence of Western-dominated culture and media. So the media industry has for decades reinforced this message that fair skin is linked with ideals of beauty, wealth, prestige and attractiveness. 
and India represents a unique case here because it, it's mainly because it has a large market share in the skin whitening industry globally. And also this is combined with the ancient notions of cultural beauty and fairness, which are linked to the caste and community biases, which we discussed earlier. And the skin whitening industry currently in India represents 50% of the entire skin skincare market with an estimated net worth of 500 million US dollars. And adverts are constantly reminding Indians that consumers with fairer skin will have access to higher status and, and adverts are eager to reinforce this message. Similarly, in Africa, the media plays a huge role in how people create perceptions of themselves and those around them. Traditional media and social media today encourage the use of skin whitening products by presenting images in, of lighter skinned individuals as more attractive, more successful, and especially when endorsed by uh, modern day celebrities or supermodels. So it's the interconnectedness of psychology and advertising which has major implications for how we view the ongoing debate about skin whitening techniques. And to gain a better insight into this debate, we'll review it from a bio-psycho-social perspective. And this will be discussed by Navsi in her piece in relation to how modern marketing techniques target consumers based on their social aspirations and their socioeconomic status. And it's these techniques which are deliberately comparing the concept of whiteness and fairness with opposing issues such as dark skin and socioeconomic stagnation. But before we do that, let's take a brief look at how a theoretical framework can help explain the phenomenon of skin whitening. And, and this will uh, come back to in, in NAVC's section because we're coming up to a short break now. Um, and, um, and in particular, she'll start to put together the various theories such as social learning theory and, and how this relates to the phenomenon of skin whitening. So we're coming up to a short break now and you're listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. It's great to have your company. We'll be back very soon after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you tired of feeling disconnected and shut down? Since every choice has ripple effects, lasting happiness is a product of the choices we make each day. Tune in to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmsted introduced you to authors, musicians, artists, and innovators, all actively engaged in designing a world that works for everyone. Make sure you're along for the ride, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. To find out more about us and the ideas behind our show, visit our website at gmc-radio.com. That's gmc-radio.com. Now, back to Good Morning Canada. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. Great to have your company. In this segment, I'm going to start with uh, the question that can a theoretical framework help explain the phenomenon of skin whitening? To talk about this, first, we're going to discuss the social learning theory. Now, the social learning theory put forward by Albert Bandura argues that real life experiences shape people's behaviors. It refers to individuals. It it refers to the fact that individuals are influenced by concepts such as reinforcement and conditioning. The theory suggests that most learning takes place through the process of observation prior to actually carrying it out. Hence, there is casual effect between observation and how the behavior of others influences us. Exposure to social learning is manifested through powerful um, adverts on TV, magazines, and the internet, which promote the idea that a lightly skinned person is more socially acceptable And this perception is given legitimacy by repeat advertising or celebrity endorsements. Also, the rise of social media has made it easier to believe in the perception that skin whitening is a good practice by portraying lighter skinned men and women as more attractive, um, confident and successful. Both these views can be illustrated by providing examples from Indian advertising. Now, the obsession with fairness in Indian society has led to a variety of skin-altering treatments to achieve a desirable skin color or improving an existing one. This situation has been exploited by the cosmetics industry as illustrated by a surge in skin whitening products and adverts over the last 30 years. India is one of the big uh, world's largest skin whitening markets with an estimated uh, 60 to 65% of women using some form of skin whitening products between the ages of 16 and 13, 35. Indian companies such as Darbar and Himalaya and of course multinational companies like um, L'Oreal have entered the skincare product market with various fairness products. Indian women have used skin whitening agents for decades, several decades actually. So more so since 1978 when Unilever launched its Fair and Lovely Cream, which has been closely tied with the skin whitening industry and continues to promote the best-selling fairness brand today. In the early 2000s, um, Unilever began airing what later became a notorious television commercial for its fair and lovely whitening cream on Indian screens. In the advert, a dark-skinned girl hears her father expressing sorrow regarding the family's low-income status. However, once she begins using fair and lovely, her skin becomes visibly lighter and her economic status is raised by finding a high-paid job as an airline attendant, and the family circumstances improve. 
Now, this commercial marked a turning point in terms of the aggressive marketing tactics used in exploiting areas of colorism. In the past, skin whitening, uh, skin whitening products merely alluded to whiteness as a hallmark of ideal beauty, but the new marketing strategies directly targeted the economic and social mobility associated with whiteness, and it clearly linked a darker skin to socioeconomic stagnation. In addition, the skin whitening industry has begun targeting men since uh, 2005 with cosmetics brands such as Imami, which launched its first fair and handsome brand. These products are endorsed by uh, very well-known people like cricketers, uh, Bollywood film stars, fair-skinned models. It's also interesting to note that the most loyal customer base are men from the southern states of India, such as Tamil Nadu, Kerala, and Karnataka, because these areas are populated by relatively darker-skinned individuals than the northern states of India. The main target market are males and females in their 20s to 30s because they have higher disposable incomes and a close affinity with the beauty and cosmetic markets. Now, this brings us to the issue of celebrities. The mass media has promoted this controversial myth that uh, beauty equates to lighter skin and over time this has placed pressure on celebs from the film, music and fashion industries to conform to expectations relevant to those businesses. From a contemporary perspective, photos of celebrities on social sites such as Instagram can be shamed and acclaimed at the same time which inevitably puts pressure on those in the spotlight to conform to particular standards. For example, celebrities who have embraced the skin whitening route in the recent years uh, include Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, Beyonce, Nicki Minaj, Rihanna, uh, Sammy Sosa, and Priyanka Chopra. The few names mentioned here provide a small insight into famous men and women who have either experienced personal issues regarding their race or have confronted have been confronted with visual stimuli from the media. Whatever the route, it has created a deep-seated insecurity which led to them engaging in skin whitening practices. Although none of these celebs have acknowledged the use of skin whitening products, the gradual whitening of their skin over a period of time can be observed by looking at their earlier media images. The interesting point is that many of these celebrities can easily afford the most expensive product lines which have been uh, regulated by health authorities. But many consumers will tend to purchase some cre uh, such creams from informal uh, supply chains which do not comply with health regulations. Also, many consumers make their own formulation from household products combined with skin whitening products in an attempt to enhance the whitening effect. This dangerous mixing of, uh, often results in harmful side effects like acronesis. It is this issue of personal insecurity which we intend to explore in the next segment because once celebrities adopt a certain activity, whether it is a personal um, lifestyle or leisure, the fact remains that they carry credibility and prestige. And in case of skin whitening, their use uh, their usage offers indirect endorsements and this social behavior becomes acceptable to millions of fans and followers. As a result, 
millions of consumers may be attached or even addicted to this practice because the overall results promote positive feeling and, and associations with it. So that brings us to what are the biopsychosocial implications of skin whitening? The biosocial or BPS theoretical model was developed by the psychiatrist George Ingalls in 1977. And this model argues there are three main factors to help explain health and disease. These factors are biological, psychological, and social, which when combined help us understand important social issues. When applying the BPS approach to the issue of skin whitening, it requires us to consider the interrelation between all the three factors in terms of, firstly, motivation behind the practice, second, how it's practiced, and third, the effects of the practice. The existence of a human being is defined primarily by biological parameters. The biological body is constructed against a backdrop of social, cultural, and psychological experiences of the individual. The skin has a strong uh, metaphorical context in the skin whitening scenario because it relates to a range of overlapping disciplines and belief systems such as political, economical, social, cultural, psychological, and aesthetic. Skin is also a physical reality as well as a social reality. The physic physical is capable of communicating shapes, sizes, and status, uh, which are all projected by culture. Clothing is an outer covering for our skin, which acts as protection and performs a social function by communicating shape, size, and status through the body through and through body art like tattoo and skin uh, whitening. The cultural perspective of skin also represents a sense of belonging to a particular group or culture which allows individuals to organize and justify their view within a given society. In addition, the skin represents the social surface of an individual by acting as a conduit between politics, culture, and society. The increased Use of skin whitening creams remind us how a globalized society neatly categorizes people through their skin color, the effects of stigma, and inevitably the preference for lighter skin, all in an attempt to advance the interests of global consumerism. It also lays emphasis that on a broader social level, skin modifications or treatments define us via the social skin and not to the individual level. What does this mean? What this means is that social skin is simply a boundary point or a marker which communicates a sense of belonging through certain categories. In essence, it's a recognition system which creates distinction and pride to the individual. As we, have, we had mentioned before, the practice of skin whitening is deeply rooted within an individual's emotional state and the cogni cognitive evaluation of their self-worth or self-esteem. This could be expressed through individual thoughts and behaviors such as joy or even uh, self-hate in some cases. Although the corrosive effect of uh, colonialism are not present in a physical sense through the rule of law, its effects still persist in the form of transgenerational emotional scarring. The 
only difference is that it's been internalized by uh, subsequent generations through economic communism, uh, consumerism, because women still associate uh, lighter skin with the ideals of beauty and perceive dark skin with the more negative thoughts such as evil, ugliness, uh, disease, dirt, etc. The system used to differentiate women in terms of various shades uh, of skin uses concepts of beauty which have been influenced by privileges of whiteness established over centuries. Now, this leads, this leads individuals to mimic the behavior and attitudes of others in the hope that being like them will improve their economic and social standing. We just look at the way in which men and women compare themselves with uh, celebrities and resort to skin whitening because they are experiencing uh, dissatisfaction on a personal level with appearance and self-worth. Hence, it's possible, very possible to argue that skin whitening techniques can be thought of as a social external factor which dictates perceived standards of beauty. Now, on that thought, I would uh, like to hand back to Navem. Thank you, Navseez. Some great insights there regarding the various social theories and how they relate to consumer perceptions and marketing techniques. And I really like the case study that you brought up about Unilever's fair and lovely product. And also the, the last point that you mentioned about skin being a dual concept as a physical and social reality. And this brings us neatly towards a final analysis. So the first point is, are there positive uses of skin whitening? Now it should be pointed out that skin whitening should not always be looked at in a negative light because traditionally skin whitening products have, have been used to treat hyperpigmentation such as melasma, cloasma, age spots, acne scarring and other skin disorders such as vitiligo. And also some consumers use skin whitening products to lighten their skin color or improve skin radiance or improve the texture of the skin. So overall, it's not all doom and gloom. So the next point is that years after many African and Asian countries achieved independence, a post-colonial attitude still persists to this day because a Eurocentric viewpoint has been adopted to create a gateway for social acceptance and privilege. And the next point is that the modern beautification process has gone well beyond the embellishment of specific areas of the body. Now, its efforts are directed more towards changing skin color in order to appear whiter and more attractive. And this is so much so that it's impossible to define beauty nowadays as a concept without mentioning the process of skin whitening. And also the rise of a commercialized global culture based around skin whitening techniques is even more accessible to consumers. And the ability to use skin whitening products creates an uncomfortable duality between established ideas about empowerment and disempowerment for women across the globe. And this is because to many women, the ideals of beauty are still perceived as a self-liberating process. But ultimately, they're still confined within the constraints of how society looks at them and approves of them with reference to modern conventions of beauty. And the next point is that the phenomenon of whiteness as a superior skin concept 
compared to darkness as a, an inferior concept. What this shows is there's a structural hierarchy which is still firmly embedded within societies and cultures across the globe. And this leads us to ask a very, very pertinent question. Does this phenomenon also suggest that femininity and female power are also questionable constructs? Because in other words, skin whitening ha uh, as an expression of femininity, is it simply a bolted on construct which has been created by an aggressive consumer society? And next, let's look at the influence of multinational corporations or MNCs. So in the past few years, multinational corporations have heavily marketed the idea that lighter skin leads to more prosperity. And as, as a result of this, dangerous skin bleaching has become a public health crisis, according to the World Health Organization. And despite government warnings and bans, the skin whitening industry has experienced exponential growth in parts of Asia and Africa in recent years. And a 2019 World Health Organization report found that nearly 70, 77% of Nigerian women reported using skin whitening products on a regular basis. Similarly, in India, 61% of the skincare market consists of skin whitening products. And market analysts have projected that this will continue for years to come. But the real concern here is whether banning these skin whitening products will actually drive an illegal trade even further underground, therefore creating uh, counterproductive measures and deepening the existing problems. So let's move on. The dominance of multinational corporations in the industry has created a new marketing dynamic propelled by colorism and ultimately a preference for lighter skin tones among non-white majority populations. And these aggressive marketing techniques are exploiting outdated colonial era associations of power and privilege in relation to whiteness across Asia and Africa. And this is mainly being done by multinational corporations targeting the aspirations of a rising middle class as a customer base in developing regions. And by advertising across mainstream media, these same companies are able to link lighter skin with modern perceptions of beauty and socioeconomic mobility. And moving on, the next point is that those who can't afford the expensive cosmetics used uh, uh, by the, the, the rising middle class, they resort to using cheaper whitening products. And the same corporations in conjunction with their preferred global marketing firms, are very quick to exploit these techniques, such as marketing segmentation. And what this does is create a, a, a split in the market and it creates a segment in a particular industry. So, for instance, multinational brands will target specifically the affluent middle class and link skin tones to economic success. But at the same time, low-income, working-class consumers are priced out of the high-end branded products and are forced to source cheaper inferior products in local markets and again this comes with the added harmful bleaching agents such as hydroquinone and the next point is that 
this idea of developing economies versus advanced economies. So to many people living in developing economies, their skin color or even the shade of their skin color represents a barrier preventing them from accessing better economic opportunities. And this raises a very important point that why would they not bleach? Because if skin whitening brings them closer to their desired social status, which was historically reserved for white people and removed from them, why wouldn't they do it? And then we ask, is it inappropriate for someone in an advanced economy to comment on someone else's personal life? Because the bigger problem, however, is that what may be correct for certain individuals based on their personal situation may be inappropriate on a broader societal level. And in this scenario, lighter skin acts as a form of symbolic and economic capital. And this especially is important for women in developing countries because of the interrelations that we've already discussed between skin tone being attractive and desirable and the need to escape one's limited socioeconomic background. And then we move to the next point that are there compar comparable situations to skin whitening? For instance, people often compare skin whitening to tanning or artificial tanning. Firstly, let's remember that skin whitening is seen as a permanent process whereby people apply creams and it removes layers on a semi-permanent or even a permanent level. However, tanning is a temporary process. So when a dark-skinned person opts for skin whitening, they're sacrificing nature's protection offered by melanin for a more aesthetically pleasing color. And equally, we could argue that a pale-skinned person that exposes themselves to UV rays to build a tan is also risking their health. However, these risks can be mitigated by using sunscreen and the correct use of tanning beds. And there are also safer options for pale-skinned people to achieve a tan. For instance, tanning lotions and creams, which, are all, which can all be rubbed on and washed off. And also, when people begin to whiten, they're, they're making permanent alterations to the pigment of their skin in an unnatural way. But when someone tans, they're activating the body's mechanisms to protect itself from UV rays. So overall, these arguments come down to a matter of personal perspective. However, it's also true that the color of our skin is representative of our genome history over millennia. So, for instance, a lighter-skinned individual will maintain a, a pale skin tone because his or her ancestors built up a repository of DNA information based on the fact that they lived in a particularly cold environment. In other words, the skin color of an individual is linked to where that person originates from and where their ancestors lived geographically. So to counter this argument, we can say that a pale skin, a pale skin person really has no reason to tan their skin because they've been accustomed to living in a cold environment as dictated by their ancestors. And the next point is this understanding of an argument for body dissatisfaction. So the arguments for and against changing one's physical appearance are a very complex topic and it's influenced by a variety of contributing factors such as the individual socioeconomic situation, their childhood experiences, cultural interactions, 
socializations and a desire to rise from one's social experience. But we believe that body dissatisfaction is largely a constructed process based on a series of social cultural interactions over time and it's these social and cultural interactions which create a conversion process for skin whitening practitioners to reach their desired goal and this process goes something like this awareness interest observation aspiration and practice so in other words it refers to how the individuals interpret the meanings and practice which surround this skin whitening subculture and essentially practitioners are bound by the value systems of skin whitening and how they link this with their own core values and beliefs over time and this creates a cumulative effect over time because new norms through aspirations uh, and then there's an acceptance of this constructed process over time and therefore this leads to a, a normalization routine despite the acceptance of the risks involved and a second line of thought is that the outcomes of social cultural interactions depend on the extent of social vulnerability of of each person using those techniques and this alters or skews the initial stages of the conversion process such as observation and aspiration and this involves a seismic shift on the behalf of the individual to make permanent changes in their morality or personal ethics model to lit legitimize the use. So let's wrap up now with a brief conclusion. We've seen that the motivations behind skin whitening are as varied as the entire range of skin tone displayed across different races and cultures across the globe. And historically, women's bodies have been constructed and deconstructed to embody various meanings according to the socio-political environment and that particular time period. So although the type of preference for fairness has changed throughout the centuries, the contemporary social understanding and desire for pale skin is extremely and closely linked to the rise in global consumerism. And so that wraps up today's episode. Many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada with Navanav. We really appreciated your company today. To contact us, go online at gmc-radio.com. And if you have any feedback regarding any of the issues that we discussed today, please email us at info at gmc-radio.com. Please like, share and comment, connect via our social channels, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And also just a quick mention that this show is syndicated to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn and Google Play. So once again, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific and 12 noon Eastern. Thank you very much. Bye from us. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Canada. Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon.